Welcome to Bench Boost, presented by IV Ignite, Inorganic Ventures Virtual ICP Academy. I'm your host, Mike Booth, Technical Director here at Inorganic Ventures. At IV, we're passionate about all things ICP, sample prep, and analytical science. And we're here to share our passion and expertise with you. Each week, we'll bring you the latest insights, tips, and tricks from the brilliant minds of our laboratory team. Get ready to experience chemistry in a new light. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by one of our R&D chemists, Autumn Phillips, and our two production coordinators, Jody Wall and Nick Plymo. We're going to continue with a deep dive into one of our most popular resources, our ICP Operations Guide, written by our founder, Dr. Paul Gaines. Make sure to tune in each week for more insights from this guide. Today, our team will be discussing Chapter 4 on Sample Introduction Systems. If you would like to follow along with us, you can view the ICP Operations Guide on our website, www.inorganicventures.com. So let's kick it off with talking about some of the resources because, you know, sample introduction systems are a big topic. So Paul mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this chapter, some resources that are available. There's some links in there, but also, you know, throw out some other ones. Ivy Ignite is a big one. If you're interested in ICP maintenance, we actually have a four course learning path that's dedicated to ICP maintenance. We've taken one of our most popular presentations and kind of converted it into an Ivy Ignite learning path, which is really good. Jody, you've been involved in a lot of our ICP conferences in the past. What do you think are some good resources for folks that are interested in learning more? Yeah, any kind of seminar or webinar, even manufacturers of these instruments will put them on themselves too. We participate in a lot of those. And even though I've done a lot of maintenance, I still watch them every now and then and pick up something new. I think Autumn is actually going to be participating in one soon, right? Yeah. So sometimes we also do seminars or joint webinars with some other companies or instrument manufacturers. So I have one coming up with Agilent. I feel like I always learn a lot from those, even when we're the ones participating in them and doing some of the presentations. So those are a really good resource, too. And a lot of times we record those so you can go back and watch them after the fact if you're not able to participate live. And there's several groups that you can find, you know, if you search out, if you're on LinkedIn, you can search out, you know, ICP OES or ICP mass spec groups. Spectroscopy Online is a good resource. They usually have a lot of webinars that they share out there. And just, you know, join particular, if you're in a specific industry that does a lot of this testing, join some of those industry groups. And I think you'll probably find a lot of resources that way too. All right. So let's go ahead and start talking about the actual sample introduction systems. In the next chapter, we're going to go in more depth into nebulizers, spray chambers, and torches. So I think probably the best way is if we talk a little bit about maybe some sample delivery systems and some tubing. So let's kick it off with sample delivery. Jody, do you want to kick us off on that one? Sure. I've been doing maintenance for a long time. So when I first started working on these instruments, everything was just being delivered by the peri pump, sample, rinse, all of it, and then... Things have evolved a little bit, and we've started using things like syringe drives or switching valves. Different instrument companies are putting different technology on them. But it, it's really made a difference in the speediness of our run, first of all, because now you can get the rinse there while you're getting your sample there. kind of overlaps the time. But also just not having that peri-pump drift on your sample has really helped us out. Definitely. Yeah, a lot of times if you're trying to get something with really good precision, you would want to eliminate the peristaltic pump because that's going to add imprecision just from the pulsations. So we use a glass concentric or a plastic concentric nebulizer depending on the sample type because those will self-aspirate. So they'll actually flow through the nebulizer without having a peri-pump. 
So that can be something really good if you do need a high precision or you just want to, like Jody said, eliminate some of the drift in your sample results. Another thing to consider is also your throughput. Um, switching over to a syringe drive system can also increase the amount of things that you can do because it will actually decrease the amount of time that each sample takes. You can sort of wash your system out while running a sample at the same time. So that's another thing to look into when looking at uh, an introductory system, a uh, peristaltic pump versus a syringe drive system or a switching valve system. Right, yeah. One of the One of the things that you do have to consider is if you are looking at really low levels and you need higher sample throughput, you may not be able to use a concentric nebulizer because they just don't have enough flow. So that's one of the kind of downfalls to a concentric nebulizer is if you're looking at super low levels of an analyte because you just can't get the sample flow that you might need to. But it really all depends on what type of sample you're running and and what your goals are. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great overview. And like I mentioned, we're going to talk more about specifically nebulizers, spray chambers, and torches next week. But let's talk a little bit more about tubing. This was a topic that Paul wrote about in detail in this chapter. Nick, do you want to kick us off on the importance of tubing and maintaining that? Yeah. So one of the first things that you want to look at when you're looking into your peristaltic pump tubing is making sure that you're changing it frequently enough that you're keeping your system clean and you're not using tubing that has sort of degraded or broken down over time. We often look to see if things have sort of flattened by that peristaltic pump. So we want to make sure that the inside of that tubing is staying as open as possible so that you can get all of your sample through. And another thing to really look out for is washout and sticking issues. So you can get certain things that will stick to plastic, such as mercury, and then that's going to be really difficult to get out of the the system. So the best thing you can do in those cases is really just to completely change your tubing. I think here at IV, we usually typically change our tubing at least once a week, and there are some instruments we even change it once a day. Definitely. Yeah, that peristaltic pump tubing is usually PVC. So even if the rest of your tubing is, you know, PTFE, that PVC tubing can hold on to a lot of different elements. So if you're having trouble with washout, you might want to just change out your peristaltic pump tubing. That might help fix that one. Autumn. Yeah, I was just going to say it also depends on what types of samples you're running as to how often you want to change your tubing. A lot of times if you're running a really concentrated sample or something with organics, you'll be able to visually just see that the tubing is dirty. So you may just want to go ahead and swap it out whenever you can see that, even if it's after just a really dirty sample that you're running through. But yeah, we normally try to change them daily just to prevent any type of flattening or running like the dirtier stuff through there and getting more washout issues. But then you also want to, at the end of the day, if you are going to reuse your tubing the next day, make sure you unclamp it because that's going to create a flat spot in your tubing and then you won't be able to use it the next day. Definitely. Yeah. And keeping those connections tight is really, you know, really what you want as well. Jody, I know you've got some interesting maintenance steps there, troubleshooting steps that you take related to tubing whenever the, you know, someone says they have a problem with the instrument, right? Yeah. One really big thing is make sure your tubing is going the right direction. <laughs> there are different peripumps out there made by different people, and some of them spin the way you're not expecting. So make sure you're drawing your waste to the waste container and not into your <laughs> spray chamber. Exactly. Yeah. And it's always just a good practice, you know, 
we've talked a lot about the peristaltic pump, but just all the tubing in general, change it out, you know, on a regular basis. And that kind of leads us into our next topic, which is going to be maintenance and troubleshooting tips. So I think the first thing to talk about is maintenance logs. So Jody, I'll kick this one off to you. Yeah, I've built a lot of maintenance logs. Really anything that you can track, period, will give you that much more of a leg up when you're trying to troubleshoot problems. So we keep track of which, you know, which system we put in there. Is it a glass spray chamber? Is it a plastic spray chamber? We've even gone so far as to start seeing if if we can keep track of the serial numbers. Because if you start seeing a problem, you know, day after day, and then suddenly next week, you're not having that problem, you can kind of go back to the pieces of the intro system that you were using last week, or at least if you have more than one, we, we tend to switch them out here. And things like, you know, system health. So keeping track of your nebulizer pressure once it gets up and running, doing your performance reports, things like that, keeping tabs on what your numbers and RSDs are. Even things like, depending on your instrument, things like operating pressure, maybe if you start seeing a problem or temperature or just really anything you can keep track of. Definitely. And we actually have some templates available for maintenance log built off of the ones that we use every day. So if you're interested in those, those are a downloadable resource that you can access through Ivy Ignite. There's one for ICP OESs and one for ICP mass specs. So definitely check that out if you're on Ivy Ignite. So let's talk a little bit more about some troubleshooting tips. We've talked about the importance of keeping those tubing connections tight. Autumn, do you want to talk about how important that can be specifically for nebulizers? I know you've done a project recently about different nebulizers. So anything on that topic? Yeah. So whenever I have... RSD problems. I mean, for different sample types, you may need to have different sample tubing different for different flow rates through the nebulizer, depending on the nebulizer specs. So when you swap that tubing out, sometimes you have to adjust the tension on the, parasol- the parasaltic pump, and that's going to really affect your RSDs. So sometimes it just takes adjusting one way or the other to see where you're going to get your lowest RSDs. And Where I like to start if I'm just getting terrible RSDs and I don't know what the optimal tension is going to be on the pump, I just back the screw all the way off and then tighten it until it just starts pulling up the sample and then go from there. Because a lot of times you can go a little overboard with over tightening that screw and then it's just going to get worse and worse and you're going to just get poor results and it's just not going to be good. So But once you get it adjusted, I would recommend not readjusting it until you need to again, because like I said, you can just go down a rabbit hole of tightening that thing all the way down. I can kind of confirm that. Like I always tell my techs, once you have the screw tightened, if if something starts going wrong, just get a new piece of tubing. Mm -hmm. Always switch the tubing first before you start changing the pressure again. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, keeping those connections nice and tight, especially anywhere where you're changing from one piece of tubing to another is super important. Nick, what would be some first steps that you would take when someone has an issue with either like high RSDs or they're getting low intensity on their instrument? So one of the first things I would look at is, again, is your tubing actually over tightened or is it, you know, providing the throughput that it should be? Again, swapping out tubing, if you're having any issues with that, is the first go-to. Beyond that, you can look at other things such as, is your nebulizer clogged? Do you need to switch that out? There's 
a lot of intro system parts that you can actually change out that actually affect your RSDs. So, of course, we'll talk more about that in the next episode. But those are the, the sort of starting points when you're looking at that. You definitely want to make sure that your tubing is properly clamped, that you're getting the right amount of throughput through, that you're not seeing any washout issues with your sample, and then just make sure that you're not seeing any clogging or anything like that anywhere in your intro system. Yeah. A lot of times I'll look at too, especially if the RSDs are bad and I've swapped out the intro system or I'm using a different sample tubing size especially, is I'll just physically watch the the sample as it's going through the system to make sure that it's it has a long enough stabilization time to where it's in the plasma and you're going to get stable readings throughout all of your replicates and also that the sample is still there at the end of each reading because sometimes if you look at your results and you look at the individual replicates you'll see that maybe the last one was way lower than all the other intensities so that pretty much tells you that your sample is gone before you're getting that last reading. So you may need to adjust your timings or your even your number of replicates. Definitely. that Yeah, that's an excellent tip. I would say also, you know, keep an eye on that drain line from your spray chamber. If you're not seeing like really good segmented flow, sometimes that can point to issues, you know, especially if you're using an HF resistant spray chamber, it's probably, you know, opaque where you can't see through it it might actually be completely filled up with solution and you don't know until, you know, it throws an error and shuts down. Or I know, Jody, you've said multiple times, it'll just throw about every error in the book when that happens, right? And then it floods out. Yeah, you just start getting random errors that mean nothing and a different error every single time you try to start it. And yeah. Definitely. And yeah, and also, you know, I would recommend folks keep up with their wavelength and mass calibrations too, especially if we start to see really low intensities it might just be you need to run a wave cow or a mass cow maybe your peaks have shifted a little bit and once you get those you know recentered you'll start to see intensity come back all right well i think this is a pretty good review of chapter four of the icp operations guide guys do you feel if we if we've missed anything or anything you want to throw in before we close this one out i can't think of anything all right well we hope that you have found this conversation helpful if you have any questions, please contact us at ivyignite at inorganicventures.com. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to check out our virtual learning academy, Ivy Ignite. Ignite membership provides you with unlimited access to video courses, downloadable resources, community forums, and so much more. Join us next week as we cover Chapter 5 of the ICP Operations Guide, where our team will continue today's conversation by reviewing nebulizers, spray chambers, and torches in more detail. We hope you will join us then and have a fantastic week. Thanks.